Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. Good morning. It's great to be with you all. Uh, a few years ago, me and uh, the lovely Matt Wilson here were privileged enough to take a group of lads away to Norway to a Christian football competition. Well, futsal it was, which is not really football, as we discovered when we got there. Anyway, all the lads, we took four lads from the community, all of which were from uh, difficult backgrounds, you could say. Two of the lads had, uh, were fathers already. Two of them had two kids by the time they were 19. Each of the lads had been involved with drugs. Uh, in fact, I don't know if Matt knows this, but the week before we went, one of our lads called Anthony had had his house raided by the police and every member of his family had been arrested and uh, sent to, it's not sent to jail, but you know, left in a cell overnight while they did a big search of his house because there was rumors that his family was selling, uh, growing and selling marijuana in our community. Uh, so each of the lads had been in trouble for one thing or another, and, uh, and none of them had passports, so we had to sort them out with passports. And I remember the day we went to the airport, like we'd got them all brand new kits, so they looked like a proper football team. You know, you know they all had brand new tracksuits with the logo on and everything. It was brilliant. Then we just had the most amazing time, like probably one of the highlights of my life, apart from marriage and, and kids and everything I'm supposed to name, like Norway is well up there. We had such a good four days while we were there. I remember like even sitting on the plane next to a kid who uh, had never been on a plane before. And he's like a hard lad, but it was like freaking out like a girl, like, oh my gosh, what's happening? I'm like, they just started the engines, mate. That's cool. And then going down the runway, like, oh no, like gripping me. Is it and then, like, looking out the window, I'm like, do you want to sit next to the window? Do I want to sit next to the window? And then, and then like, peering over and going, it's getting smaller. Like, that's, yeah, that's cool perspective. There we go. And just, just so, so good when we were there. And we, we, we just, we had this phenomenal hotel in this little Norwegian town with beautiful hills all around. And as soon as we got there, we sent the, well, we all went out running with our gear on. You know, again, so the locals would know we were a proper squad. You know what I mean? So we ran down this road and we saw like a, we ran past a beautiful waterfall. And when, when we even get in there, we'd have to go up the fjords in this boat. And the, the boys were just mesmerized. We were all mesmerized by what we were looking at. I mean, it was my, almost minus degrees while we were out on the top of this boat. But like, sometimes we'd just be out there just like windswept with the beauty that was around us. And so there was like all these firsts for these guys. They'd never been abroad. They'd never stayed in a hotel. They'd never probably been on a boat or something, up, up, certainly up the fjords. And we're eating different food. And we even found like this beach on the way home to, and played be, uh, like football on the beach on a gloriously sunny, freezing cold day. But all these amazing memories. But the highlight has to be that every one of these these lads uh, became a Christian. It was amazing. Like we bombarded them with the gospel and when they finally got through to this Christian tournament, there was loads of evangelists there and they just got whacked with the gospel and each one of them gave their lives to God. And so we're in this conundrum, like what do we do with them now? Like do we baptize them? And so we did. We just, we didn't even, you know, sort out where they were going to be church-wise or anything. We're like, let's get them baptized. So on this Sunday morning in a small Norwegian church with a service in Norwegian, 
like our boys were like dunked in the waters and um, just amazing. And then they were filled with the spirit. Like it was just an absolute blast. And uh, we were blown away. We couldn't really believe what was happening. The boys had such a great time that even on the last day, they were like begging us, let's stay here. We will marry these girls. And uh, we will... We will live here forever. But I have to admit, as we got on the plane, I began to get nervous. I began to worry a little bit about what had happened. Because, in a sense, we'd taken them out of their worlds. We'd taken them to a place where no one knew them, where their temptations were minimal. Beyond gorgeous Norwegian women, there was, like, nothing that they could really do wrong, you know, Temptation was at a minimum. Their old habits seemed far away. A place where no one knew the type of things that they were into or the things that they'd done. And the pressures and strains of everyday life were really at a minimum. And, uh, and we'd give them, given them all these experiences that they'd never had before. And like I say, we'd bombarded them with the gospel day in and day out. We lived and breathed Jesus. We really did like... From the moment they woke up, we would pray, and we prayed all the time. We prayed morning and lunchtime, before mealtimes, before every match. Like, everything we did was covered in prayer. Before church, we were like, you know what you do before church, guys? You spend some time in prayer. And at church, we were like, you know what you do at church? You pray. After church, let's do some more prayer. And we talked about Jesus. We watched films about Jesus. We watched dramas about Jesus. Like, it was mad full of Jesus. And so putting them on a plane, taking them back to their worlds, I was deeply concerned that it just wasn't real. This Norwegian sort of honeymoon with Jesus wasn't really going to compare to the lives we were sending them back to. You know, as they got on this plane, they were returning to lives that they'd left just four days ago, and they were going to go back to broken relationships and hardship and difficulty. Each one of them was going back to unemployment, to life on the dole, to cheap and easy drugs, where drinking is the norm, where disagreements are sorted out with violence, where a world, uh, you know, where in their world, you know, going to church is a sign of weakness, and Jesus is a swear word, and you know the stories I'm talking about. And I just thought these guys are going to go back and explain what they've experienced, and everyone's just going to go, well... That's not true. And they'd be mocked from day one as they began to share about what had happened. And sadly, my, my feelings were real. You know, they entered this world and they went back to their lives. And slowly but surely, their sort of memories faded and their faith faded. And I was just broken. We did. We tried to do our best, guys. You know, we put them into groups and, uh, you know, we tried to disciple them every week, but it was hard. Their life seemed to consume them and one by one they slowly faded away. I'm sure they would still profess faith if we got them here. They'd probably say they were Christians, but their lifestyles would certainly not look quite the way that we would have hoped. I'm sure it's this way with many people, not just guys I've taken out of my community to Norway. It probably happens every summer when guys go away to conferences and they get full of passion for Jesus and then return to their lives and go, I'm not sure this makes any sense anymore. You know, it happens, it happens for me sometimes. The sort of high, the momentary highs of our faith are not often the reality of what it looks like to live for Jesus in a daily basis. Sounds depressing, doesn't it? 
The good news is, when I read the scriptures, I can see that it happened to the finest and, and to the best. And that's what I want to look at this morning. Because when I go through the scriptures, I see that it actually happened to Jesus' disciples as well. The last time, a few times I've shared, I've been looking through John's gospel, Matthew, uh, John 20, where, where we see this amazing experience where the disciples are in the upper room and uh, they're fearful for their lives, but Jesus shows up, he brings peace, he shows them his wounds, his hands and his side. And then he does this amazing thing where he says, what the Father asked me to do, I'm now asking you to do. And Jesus gives them the mandate of heaven to go forth and proclaim the gospel and bring the kingdom in. And then he does this wonderful thing where he breathes the Holy Spirit upon them. And then, if that wasn't enough, they get a second chance because Thomas, who Andy clearly doesn't like when he beefed him the other day, but he wasn't in for my preach. Otherwise, he would know that Thomas isn't just a doubter, but he's a, he's a good, good guy, a faithful guy. But Thomas misses out, and so he wants it. And so the disciples get to see it like role-played again. Jesus appears in the upper room where the doors are locked, and he shows the wounds of his suffering. And he breathes, I don't know, it doesn't actually say he breathes on him, the Holy Spirit, that second time. But they've encountered the mercy of God like never before. And so what do those guys do next? What do these guys do who have absolutely seen some awesome things of Jesus? They've seen the risen Christ and they've touched and felt his scars. And they've had the Holy Spirit poured upon them in a way that should release them to the world. They go fishing. Like they go fishing. Let me read it to you from John 21. After G, after, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, and, and the sons of Zebedee two, uh, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out, uh, I'm go, sorry, I'm going out to fish, said Simon Peter. Uh, uh, Simon Peter told them, we will go with you, they say. And they went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. I wonder how many days the disciples have been in that upper room after Jesus has shown up and done his wonderful thing. I wonder how many days they stayed with the doors locked, trying to recreate the experiences, talking about what had happened, hoping that it all happened again. And they sit in that room and they think, is Jesus coming today? Like, is Jesus going to come visit today? And maybe they wait, and they wait a couple of days. But I wonder at what point they realize that maybe this isn't going to happen the way that it's happened before. Maybe the journey's over. Maybe Jesus is done with appearing, and maybe it's time to get back on with life. Maybe they've run out of food, or maybe they begin to miss their family. Maybe they start to wonder if it's all over and they've just got to get on with things. And so Peter says, I don't think he's coming, so I don't know about you, but I'm going back to fishing. And seven out of the 11 say, oh, well, all right, and we'll come with you. I don't know what happened to the other four. I wish we knew whether they were like, no, we're staying, we're, we're sticking it. You know, we're, we're sticking it, holding out for Jesus. We're staying here. The doors will remain locked because who knows? But seven out of the 11 go with Jesus. And Jesus had said to these guys, you're no longer going to be fishermen of fish. You're going to be fishers of men. And here's these guys who've had a few days without the risen Jesus appearing and doing wonderful things. And they're like, we're going to be fishers of fish. 
Like, what's going on? I just don't get it how they could quickly, so quickly return to fishing. Why go back? Maybe they were worried about money all of a sudden. They haven't been worried about money for a few years when Jesus has been there. They know that Jesus does miracles with fish and money, where the money comes out of the mouth of fish. Maybe that's why they went fishing. We could do with some cash. Let's get a whole boat full of fish with money in the mouth. I don't think so. I wonder if maybe they were disappointed or disheartened or just like, what, what do we do now? But I wonder if Jesus is disappointed. These guys who he's poured his spirit upon and revealed the wounds of his suffering, who have decided that fishing is the best thing to do. And not fishing for men, but fishing for fish again. The stuff he'd called them from. And I wonder if that's why they don't catch anything. Because Jesus is like, I need you to understand, boys, you're not fishermen anymore. I wonder if Jesus is trying to remind them that they are now fishers of men, not fishers of fish. Now, I've been fishing, and I've caught nothing. And you try everything. Like, you, you try different tackle, like that means bits on, on the fishing rod. And you'll try different bait, you know, you'll throw, sometimes you'll, you'll throw different bits on your hook and then sometimes you'll throw loads into the water and then you realize you probably scared the fish off when like your, your jam sandwich is floating on the top there and you think they don't really like that. And so you'd like, you fish near a bush for a bit and then you get tangled so you fish near the deep and you try everything until you realize you can't fish. Like you're rubbish at fishing. I went with a guy who was a proper fisherman, and all day we caught nothing. He said, you can't fish. Like, you should never fish again. And I wonder if that's what they do. How long did it take them to realize that they're just not good at fishing? They've got all night to work it out. They go out late. They sit in a boat. They try. You know, they would have tried everything, you know. These boys were pro fishermen. Like, it's how they made their living. And so for there to be no fish, like they would have been sat there thinking about what they were doing wrong. You know, it's a miracle that they caught no fish. But that's a miracle of Jesus that they caught nothing. Because if they'd caught something, it would have said, and then they finally caught something. And it was a really turd fish and a sandal. You know, they would have written down what they nearly caught or, or the rubbish that they caught, but they caught nothing. The nets were always empty. I reckon there was not even like a seaweed in there. Nothing. It's a miracle that they caught nothing. So surely it would have crossed their mind. You know what the worst thing to happen to you when you can't catch any fish is when someone says to you, have you caught anything? And that's exactly what Jesus says. Verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have, uh, haven't, uh, friends, haven't you any fish? I like how they shout back in a one-word answer. No. Like, go away. Like, leave us to it. We haven't caught any fish. And I love how Jesus asks people questions even though he knows the answer. Like he's like, boys, he shouts from the shore, guys, have you caught any fish? With a little smirk, they can't see that, I don't think. There's a wry smile on the face of Jesus. 
And so when they shout back to him, no, he's like, I know. I like that. And it's interesting that they don't recognize who Jesus is. They don't recognize him as they look from the, from the boat. They don't recognize the guy stood on the shore. And they certainly don't recognize his voice when he shouts. And it makes me think, why is that? Did he look different? Did he sound different? Maybe. Some people say his appearance was different. But part of me thinks is they would have expected Jesus, if he was there, to be walking out to them on the water. Like they're in a boat, they would have expected, well, if it's Jesus, he would have walked out and gone, boys, the boat is empty. Like there's a problem with the fishing today. But he doesn't. He shouts to them and they don't quite recognize him. The second most annoying thing when you can't catch any fish is when someone tells you how to fish. Especially when you know that they're not a fisherman. Like imagine being told how to catch fish and you're a pro and a carpenter. A guy that does with wood stuff tells you how to fish. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He says, boys, you might want to try throwing the nets on the other side. Throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Like, as if. Like, surely, I don't know about fish, as I've previously said. But fish, I don't think, are really clever. They don't see a load of nets and go, we're just going to wait over here on the other side of the boat. Because they can't, maybe someone correct me later on if that is the case. But surely they're not that clever. But they try it. They do what Jesus says. They throw the stuff on the other side. And what does it say? And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because it was that Uh, Because of the large number of fish. There's that many fish that they've caught that they have to drag the nets behind. It works. They've got loads of fish, probably more than ever before. They would have filled the boat. But the response of John and Peter is fascinating. See, John sees the size of the catch and realizes it's a miracle. He puts two and two together and says, the guy on the shore said fish on the other side. So unless he could see loads of fish leaping out of the water, it's got to be some kind of miracle. And so he recognizes the miracle words and he recognizes, therefore, it's got to be a miracle of Jesus. And he says to Peter, it's the Lord. Like, it's the Lord. And I don't know if he's pointing at the big ball of fish that's now like raging behind him and says, look at the fish, it's the Lord. Or whether he points to the shore and says, look, Peter, it's the Lord. But Peter doesn't care. Like, Peter doesn't hesitate. He's like straight off. He does the bizarrest thing and throws himself in. But first of all, he puts his coat on. Like, what's all that about? Like, Peter's got a job to do, right? He's the one that said, let's go fishing. And he's invited all his friends there. But as soon as he's done fishing, he's like, I'm straight in. He should have finished the job and sailed in with the others. But he can't wait. He needs to be with Jesus. I genuinely think Peter thought he could walk on water. Like, this moment here, he puts his coat on. Like, If you're going to swim to shore, you don't put more clothes on. That makes no sense. I have done my silver swimming badge. I have swum in my pajamas. That's hard enough. You don't then put your coat on as well. I think he thought he would have been like, Jesus is there, miracle fish. I am walking to shore. Oh, 
No. Peter's done with fishing. Like Chipper shared this morning about abandonment. Peter is abandoning the fish today. And the coat is a statement that he's done with fishing. Like he could have left his coat in the boat. I'll get the, I'll go back to the boat later and I'll pick up my coat. He's done with fishing, guys. This is the last day Peter is ever going to fish. My coat is on. I'm done fishing. I'm abandoning this. I got it wrong. I went fishing when I should have been fishing for men. I went after fish. I am done with this. Coat on in the water. And he's swimming, swimming back. He does not care for fish anymore. Like the fish that were in, that they'd caught would have been worth a fortune. Like how to kickstart your fishing business, catch a load of fish. You can then sell all your fish, buy new nets, bigger nets, bigger boats, a fleet of boats, you're off. He says, I don't care about the amount of fish I just caught. Taking my coat, I'm done with fishing. I'm a fisher of men. I'm off. Abandonment. He only cares about Jesus. On the shore is his redeemer. On the shore is his Messiah, his savior. The son of God is on the beach and he wants to be with him straight away. The swim to shore we don't get to know about. But that would have been an interesting swim. Like, not only is he proper, like, bogged down with all his clothes, but he's just seen a miracle amount of fish caught, and he's got a hundred yards swim. Like, I don't know if he went on the back, sculling, or whether he was just like, I've got a hundred yards, so I'm going to nail this. But I reckon he's got a couple of minutes to think things through. Like, why did he bother going fishing that day? What was he thinking? What is he going to say to Jesus as he crawls out on the beach? What is he going to say to Jesus when he looks him in the eye? And Jesus says to him, I thought, I thought we had a thing. Like, I filled you with the Holy Spirit. I showed you my wounds. And like, you're supposed to be like fishers of men. What's with the boat? Like, maybe he's working all through. Like, what's Jesus going to say to me? And what am I going to say to him? And he's probably thinking, why did I put on this coat? Why did Peter go fishing? I wonder if, like my lads, the reality of life began to hit home. The old ways of thinking began to take over. The old routine slipped back. Days without Jesus and his moments of amazing stuff and impact began to feel like days away. Before long, he forgets the power of the encounter. He forgets the importance of what Jesus says. He forgets the commandments. He forgets the truths. He forgets the miracles. And it was never intentional. Like, he, he didn't reject Jesus. He didn't turn from Jesus. He wasn't trying to run away from Jesus like, you know, um, what's the guy got swallowed by a whale? You know, the, you know, Jonah. He wasn't trying to get on a boat to escape Jesus he didn't purposefully walk away, but he just didn't pursue Jesus in the way that he should. He didn't look for him, and life took over. I've been loving this passage from Lamentations. Let me read it to you. Lamentations 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
I used to sing this as a kid, belt it out. In fact, I was belting it out last night while someone had come to use our shower and came downstairs and said, you're really noisy. And I was just singing, I was just singing, great is his faithfulness. And she's like, you're really weird. The love of the Lord continues forever. His mercies never end. But what we're told about his mercies is that they're new every morning. The mercies of God are new every morning. We're told in the Old Testament that the people of God, the Israelites, were sustained through the desert by manna from heaven every morning. And we are the people of God. And we're not sustained by manna from heaven, but we're sustained by mercies from heaven every single day. His mercies are new for us. And I believe God reveals his mercies afresh and in a new way every single day. There is a new view of mercy. Mercy is, you know, God's glory. Mercy is wonderful. And it's supposed to be seen in a new way every single moment and every single day. The people of God were told not to store up manna. If you use yesterday's manna, it would be rotten. It would be old. It would be moldy. Likewise with the mercy of God. Yesterday's view of mercy will not do. It's not going to kill you, but there's something better. Like Jesus wants us to see his mercy afresh today. In a way you didn't see it before. In a way that you'll never see it again. He wants to bring you to his mercy. He wants you to delight afresh in his sufferings. He wants you to behold his sacrifice. He wants you to appreciate again in a totally different way the price he paid for sin. He wants you to enjoy his compassion. That's why Christians sing, because we remind ourselves of the mercy of God. That's why we turn ourselves to the scriptures, because it reminds us of the mercy of God. That's why we pray every day at the message, because it reminds us of the mercy of God. You know, the mercies of God cannot be comprehended and, uh, over one meal. You don't sit down and, and gorge yourself on the mercy of God, and that will do forever. You're supposed to return every single day to the mercy of God and say, Today, Lord, give me my daily bread. The mercy of God is vast. It's beautiful. It is glorious. And he longs for us to be sustained by it day in and day out. The disciples had had the greatest view of the mercy of God in history. You'll have it one day too. Where they stood before the risen Jesus face to face and saw the wounds of his suffering. The scars of his mercy. They'd felt the flesh where he'd suffered. Yet without pursuing his mercies daily, they found themselves going back to what they used to do. And maybe day two, they were like, yesterday was a good day. I'd like more of that. And maybe day three, they were like, remember what happened? Maybe they talked about it and they reminded themselves of it. But they didn't seek it as Christ had had intended. They didn't seek his mercy afresh each day. They remembered what had once happened. This is how we fall away from Christ. We don't decide one day we're done with Jesus. We slowly and slowly rely on the mercy that we once tasted. 
I see it in my friends now that I went through the youth with, who had had these wonderful encounters at conferences or at church where God blew them away, but they remained there. They kept reminding themselves of what happened at the Soul Survivor in 1996 and forgot that each day the Lord wanted to reveal more of himself. Chipper read my favorite passage in all of scriptures this morning. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifice. We're called to be radical, aren't we? All the time we're G'd up in this place to go harder or go home, keep going. You know the rhetoric. Radical living can only be sustained by viewing God's mercy daily. If you want to live sacrificially, if you want to live with abandonment, like Chipper said this morning, then you need to seek God's mercy each day. Take a fresh look at his mercy. I don't know how dirty you feel today. Some days I feel proper dirty. I feel like God's mercy isn't enough. But he has more mercy than you do sin. And I love what Spurgeon writes about mercy. He says, this writer that I really like, he says, you never have to drag mercy out of Jesus. You never have to drag it out. Like he's not holding on to it. He wants to give it generously and freely and daily. In the boat, Peter sees Jesus on the shore. And he sees mercy. And he sees afresh what Jesus is all about. He sees the, he, behind him is a lifestyle that he's going to leave. And before, in front of him is the daily bread. Ironically, Jesus making breakfast for him on the beach. And he says, this is the guy that I need to see this morning. Finally, just to finish, I was thinking about this. When Jesus writes about what the Holy Spirit does... He said, the Holy Spirit will come and will teach us truths and will hear from heaven and tell us what's going on there. In heaven, Jesus bangs on about his mercy all the time. Jesus is a bit of a one-trick pony. It's an amazing trick. It's his mercy. And he talks to Jesus about it all the time. He says, be merciful, God. Be merciful, God. Let's be merciful today, God. His mercy is wonderful. It's his love. It's the full expanse of his love. And he wants to make it known to us each and every day. He says, come, let me share it with you. Let me open up your heart and let me show you a new glimpse of my mercy. Because it's wonderful. So let's pray, shall we, and seek the mercy of God. Jesus, you're wonderful. How much you love us. How much you love us, Lord. That you go to the cross for us. And we hear about your cross all the time. And we don't want to become numb to it, Lord. But we want to meet it afresh this morning. We want to come to your mercy this morning, Lord. Oh, God, help us to glimpse it like we've never glimpsed it before. Whether it's the size of your love for us, whether it's the sacrifice you made, 
reveal your mercy in them to us this morning. God, as you call us to recklessly abandon our lives, as you call us to faithfully follow you, as you call us to live radically, Jesus, help us to do it in view of your mercy, not in view of duty, not because we're paid to do it, because you paid the price for us. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams.